minutes of our lives inside Either we're in traffic at work or close eyes How about we all agree that it's way overdue to take back our lives What's up, guys? Welcome into the Work Wherever podcast. I'm your host, Roy Edwards. This podcast where we talk about AI automation, the ability to work wherever so you can live every day like it is Saturday. There's no Sydney here today. So if you guys are Sydney fans, just, I guess, click away or stay because we're going to have a great conversation here. I got a really great guest here on uh, on the other side. We're going to talk about talent acquisition. We're going to talk about uh, mental health in the workplace. We're going to talk about future of work, which is one of those terms that's kind of been thrown around since, I don't know, the pandemic, world world shut down to the old times. I don't know, whatever you jive with, whatever you want to call it, uh, pre-COVID era, post-COVID era, I don't know how they'll define these these things, but we're going to talk about it here on today's, today's podcast. So I have a great guest. She started her career in higher education. Now she is in the corporate world. Uh, doing talent acquisition, talent development. And we're going to have a great conversation with Elena. I'm going to, I'm sorry. Argaragamova. Argaragamova. Did I get it? <laughs> I didn't get it, but thank you for the applause. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so welcome, Elena. Welcome on in. Thank you. It's good to be here with you. And so we were talking prior to the show and we're in the same area. You're in the Washington, D.C. area. Yes. How long have you been in the D.C. area? Well, actually, I, I, I moved out in 2014. So I was here right after I finished my, my uh, university. I moved up here uh, in 2011, I guess. And then I stayed here for a few years. In 2014, I actually moved to Dubai for eight years of my life. And then I came back um, from the Middle East like two, two years ago. So just kind of, you know, reentering back the area. So, Wow. Yeah, the... Uh... I saw that. I was like, "Oh my gosh, she's local." Yeah, I'm so that's right cool. You don't. Then. I don't meet many local people that are local to DC. So very, very cool to have another local. It's great. Next time we're going to get you in studio, and you'll be sitting in the, the chair next to me. One hundred percent. When we have this conversation, so tell me a little about yourself. Introduce yourself. I know that um, I kept the bio short. You were like, "Keep my bio short." I do too much. And I'm like, "All right, great." Then I'm going to let <laughs> you explain what you do. So tell me a little about yourself, and we'll dive into this conversation. Sure. So as you, as you mentioned, I've started my career in higher education where I quickly became bored after a while. I had great experience, don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't for me. Um, it was a little bit slow moving, so I needed a faster paced environment. So I said, OK, where, where do I transition as a, as a, you know, as a recruiter at university, as a kind of program developer in university? Like what makes sense? So learning and development was something that was always interesting to me. So then I was like, OK, great, let's move into corporates. And I never looked back, uh, so I kind of made that shift towards corporate learning um, and then made another shift towards talent acquisition because I quickly realized that uh, when it comes to talent development and, and, and learning and organizations, it all starts with that first step of acquisition of talent. 
So I moved into that, um, but that wasn't enough. So in 2019, while I was in Dubai, I started a company with a co-founder um, focusing on performance and well-being. Uh, really, again, tying into that talent umbrella. Um, I believe well-being is kind of where it's at for everything that we do in life. So we can definitely talk about that. Um, and, and so, yeah, and then we've just exited the company. We've sold off our content um, to an earlier a, a investor that we had. So that was a couple of months ago, so it's very fresh. Um, and now I'm focusing more on um, talent acquisition and development and work with youth. I have a nonprofit as well. So um, so that's a little bit of a background. So a little bit different moving pieces, but they're all under the umbrella of like talent and development of individuals and organizations. People, dealing people. with people. Yeah. So what made you want to deal with people? I don't know if you know this, but people are super frustrating to work with sometimes. <sighs> yes. So what, what made you want to work with, with people? Like what, where, where did that interest come from? Well, interestingly enough, when I was um, starting off my college, I went into, I never did really well in school. Like I was a horrible student. I never even took the SATs or anything like that. And whenever I did even the, the, the tests, like I just like the practice test, I would just fail. So I went into community college and I remember my advisor was like, well, what do you want to do when you're old? And it's like, I was like 19 or something. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm having for dinner tonight. You want me to know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Like, that's just not a fair question. Um, and that's because they try to put you into that box. So ever since I was like in university study, I never really could fit a box. And I used to feel like such a loser because everybody had these plans and everybody was going to big schools and universities and knew exactly what they wanted to do. And I was like, am I just boring? I was like, does, does nothing just interest me? So and then he was like, well, what do you like to do? And I said, well, I like to travel and see cultures like that was always like a thing. I was, you know, my family did a really good job introducing us to different cultures since we were kids. Um, and so. I, I, like, I was like, I like that. I like learning about different people. I like speaking with people. I, I like to hear people's stories. But there was nothing, there was no major in that, right? Um, and funny enough, and I always laugh at this, looking back and kind of, you know, I end up doing, by the way, if anybody's interested, I end up doing um, uh, international relations because it was the, the major that spoke closely to what I was interested in. And so the funny part is today, that's essentially what I do. I deal with a lot of global clients. I deal with a lot of different people. I hear people's career stories and then help them navigate that next step. So, and I, and I get to travel for work as well. So it's like, I'm kind of doing what I always wanted to do, but it took me, you know, ages to, to get to this point. So. Which that's that, you know, any, any career development story has its, it's never a linear path, mm -hmm. right? All career development, is always a windy road. You're always going to hit bumps. You're always going to kind of figure it out along the way. My story is is pretty similar to that. I, I'm not some like super student, you know. I I actually I mean I got okay grades. Like I, I, I never really like I made honor roll. I think like once. You know what I mean? Like it was not like I'm not like some super super brainiac over here. I just happen to be an engineer now. It's it, but I, schooling was never really my thing. And so oftentimes people, especially here in American culture, is like we believe that when you go to college, then you're supposed to know exactly what you're supposed to do. When you post-graduate, you go into your college, you understand what it is that you're supposed to do, you get out of school, you get your dream job, and then you're off and running, right? Mm -hmm. Never happens. I've met like two people where that happens. And then the people who do go into those careers, like they're like, oh, yeah, I wanted to be a teacher or I wanted to be or whatever. Later down the road, a lot of them change career paths. Like you, it sounds like you went into education, right? And then changed career paths. 
What, what was the conversation around changing career paths? I'm sure there was external conversations with family members, friends, loved ones, maybe people close to you, maybe saying this is a good or a bad decision. What, what ultimately prompted your decision to change career paths? Yeah, so for me, I think it was a little bit different in the sense that I, um, I just knew I didn't want to be in, in higher education anymore. I wasn't sure what was next, but I just wanted to, you know, continue to do what I enjoy. And there was pieces of higher education that I did enjoy, which is working with students. And I did also career development with students and universities. So again, like just working with talent was interesting to me and people, you know, and honestly, like, you know, it's, it's, um, to career change is difficult. And even now, like when I work with individuals, there's no magic formula that gets you from A to B. And what I've done is I used to do a lot, a lot of like pro bono stuff. I used to do a lot of um, volunteer stuff just to get exposure to certain um, learning and development opportunities. Um, I, of course, got my certifications and all that. That kind of, I felt like that gave me credibility. But ultimately, I did a lot of experimentation to see if like, A, do I even want to do it? Um, you know, again, I, I worked for free a lot, even when I started mm-hmm. off like doing side gigs and stuff before I started my business, I used to do a lot of free stuff just to get experience, just to be like, yeah, okay. I feel like I'm good at this. Now I can charge money for this. Right. Um, and, and I mean, my friends and family, my family is used to me. So they're like, Elena just has many interests, you know, just let her figure it out. Like she'll figure it out at home. So they were on board in general. Um, but my friends really couldn't advise because they were very much like me, like, you know, either they're in the same path or they were, um, you know, in that corporate ladder and they're just like, well, that's where I'm at and I'm just going to keep going. So, so the working pro bono doing side gigs, side jobs, a lot of people will view stuff like that as you don't know what to do. I, like I said, I was a producer at SiriusXM. I did side work. I built websites. I worked for the federal government for like four years. I had a sports media company. Like I did all of these things. Now, I'm not, obviously I'm not on the radio like I thought that I was going to be, right? I have a podcast, but I'm not on the radio like I thought I was going to be. But everything that led you through that windy path has created who you are now as a very diverse individual with a lot of different talents, Mm -hmm. which that is more so I think what employers are looking for these days is somebody who can go in and figure things out, who can be diverse in their thinking and are not singular focused, which has a lot to do with the changing landscape of hiring. Whereas I've, I've seen you post about this before where the old way of thinking in terms of getting a job, you stayed in that career and you were a, it was a linear career path. You got a job at 18 or out of college and you stayed there until you died and you got the 50 year watch or whatever it was at the end of it and everybody clapped for you and at some point along the lines that it became if you jumped or you had more than two companies on your resume then oh this person is a lot is a liability because they jump around and they don't know what they they don't know what they want to do so is the future of work as forgiving to those who are jumping around as entrepreneurs know that we jump around all the time? I, I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many companies I have on my resume and they all taught me valuable lessons and they were all very good for my career path to ultimately where it led to starting my own business. But is the rest of the market as forgiving to somebody who has three, four, five companies on their resume? 
So um, generally speaking, it's more forgiving now than it ever has been, absolutely. But we also have to consider that it depends on the industry, it depends on the roles, and it depends on the people, on the culture of the company and the people that are going to be reading your resume. So what I always say to kind of candidates is you have to have a good story. So people are forgiving as long as you have a clear story of your career progression, even if it does look like, you know, when sometimes when people, you know, I tell people what I'm doing and they're like, oh, that's so many things. But I'm like, but it's if you think about it, it's under the same umbrella of everything. So it actually feeds into each other, which makes me, you know, um, kind of more diversified and et cetera. But um, a lot of people, what they do is they don't have that story that they can tell and whatever marketing material they're using, whether it's their resume or their LinkedIn or whatever platform they use, it's not clear. So that makes it harder for people to um, kind of see that potential, you know, et cetera, because most, you have to remember, you're, you're dealing with people and a lot of recruiters are really, really great at recognizing potential. A lot of recruiters are really great at connecting the dots, but many of them are not. They're just looking to tick the box. So although the market is more forgiving and they're, you know, they might take a look, they just might not be able to connect the dots unless you, you make it very clear of where all these previous experiences add up to, to the story in terms of what you want to do today. So I think, I think there's kind of two responsible parties here. One is for the recruiter to be able to read it accurately and, and, and be actually, you know, put the, put a human in front of them versus just kind of judging based on a resume. And for the individual, for the candidates, they have to also have a story. And I think that's probably more important. Um, and also like branding, like personal branding is essential, right? Um, so I, I think I think these two are important to consider for sure. I, I, personal branding to me is one that's kind of gone overlooked. I know that personal branding when you're an entrepreneur or you're looking to start your own business or do your own thing, personal branding obviously is everything. Is who are you outside of this organization or company that you've started or brand? And it can also help propel your brand to say, you know, I, I am an individual. I stand for something. This is who I am. And oh, by the way, I've started this organization or I've started this company or I've started this product where you can help support some of the things that I see. We saw that with, we see this with Gen Z. A lot of the trends around Gen Z is they are a very uh, organizational type of uh, microscoped generation. They want to know mm. what the company stands for. They want to know who they support. They want to know who they donate. They want to know that, that they're making a greater impact in the world. And so with that, personal branding becomes a big part of organizational. But I would flip it the other way too, is that organizations are also looking for people who can fit into their company culture, who who can stand for the things that they stand for. And you're starting to see, you know, Tom's kicked it off, what? however many years ago and that became kind of like the gold standard for organizations where it was like look you better go be a whatever you are justice warrior helping you know you have an obligation to support your community to support your cause to do what it stand for something you know mm -hmm. and i think organizations are are looking for individuals who can do that as well who have that personal brand who are looking to stand for their culture instead of hiring a, a piece of paper which i love what you're saying it's talking about feed your story mm -hmm. you know, tell your story on LinkedIn you'll see so many people whose LinkedIn profile reads like a reads like a resume a resume it's yeah. a social platform <laughs> yeah you know? yeah and, and yeah go ahead sorry no 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 you're, you're you're good do you see that with do you see that with, is that like one of the things that you're helping people out with is how to tell their story 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's super important, not only for the, the, the sales of yourself part, but also for you to make sure you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Because if you can't tell your story, we have, a, we have an obstacle because either you don't know what your story is and you're not sure how you got here, which becomes confusing. And then that's going to be asked in a different way when you interview anyway. Or, um, you know, and maybe you know what you've done, but you haven't seen the connection. So what, what is what I see with a lot of people. So I volunteer also with Veterati, which is a platform helping veterans transition to corporate jobs, like military experience to corporate. And what I often see is I have, I've, I've talked to people that have like 20 years of like extreme and amazing military experience. And they do not see how it can transform to corporate yeah. job until you have that conversation with them. And I'm, and you know, and I've, I've seen this over and over again. So I think just sometimes we don't know what we don't know, and sometimes we're so caught up in our own selves and imposter syndrome or whatever it may be that having a conversation with somebody and trying to tell that story, you try to you you start to see. You're like, wait a minute, I actually. I actually do have value to add for, to this position, et cetera, because job descriptions mean very little today. Yeah. So you have to be able to like tell that story. And, and again, it's more for the individual versus the company. First and foremost, it's for the person themselves. Right. So I think that's um, that, that's an important point. Um, another thing I, I see on um, Canada, especially like LinkedIn profiles. Um, and to your point, it's not your resume. It's supposed to, it's, yeah. that's what it's there for. That's why all those different features on LinkedIn are there for us to tell a story in different right. ways. Um, but the whole um, open to work green circle, it drives me crazy. That is not a way to tell your story. It is yeah. completely backfiring for people. And what I, you know, I just want to speak on this for a minute because I think it's such a detriment to your career search because this started during the pandemic. So the green circle started during the pandemic when we're all coming together as a community and we're just saying, let me help you out. Where, who needs to work? Who's looking for a job? So at that time we were emotionally connected to this green circle and it worked for that period of time. This was three years ago. No longer is it, is it, is it um, applicable. And I always tell, now I don't know why LinkedIn still has it on. I really wish they would just take mm. it off because many people are like, oh, they should put it on. Um, it, it just, it makes you look desperate realistically, right? Um, focus on the story and, and creating an, an, an impressive profile versus screaming for a job. Because what people don't realize is that just because you have open to work doesn't mean somebody is actually going to click on your profile, study you, right? Look at your resume or story, depending on what you have. It's just not effective. Like you're, you're asking people to do homework about yeah. you. And, and help you find a job instead of making it easier for people to help you by having that strong personal brand. Have you, so, have you found that it, that hurts? Like, have you talked to organizations where they see the open to work and they see it as a negative? So um, it depends who you talk to. I've, I've heard both sides of the, of the, of the argument, but I'm leaning on the, like from a recruiter perspective, I'm yeah. leaning towards more. Um, and again, I mean, again, maybe because of my network of recruiters, a lot of people that I do speak with, it's not something they see as a benefit because yeah. if you have a good profile, it doesn't matter if you're open to work, we're going to reach out to you. It's not yeah. going to give me any more information that I need to like, regardless, I don't care if you're working or not. If it says that I'm going to reach out to you. So I need to, I'm reaching out to you as an individual. You telling me you're open to work doesn't tell me anything. Like it's, it's not adding any value to me. Except, would, you know, so. What would you tell to somebody who, so I feel like everybody has a story, right? Mm-hmm whether we realize that we have a story or not, all of us have a story that makes us uniquely us. It's become pretty popular in the last three, four years where everybody feels like their story has to involve some 
heartbreaking, life-altering moment. So when, and you, you see this where people are like, oh, and you know, it, it all goes back to my childhood. I was, I was four and I broke my arm. And ever since then, I've known that, and everybody has, has to throw in some crazy, I am the way that I am. I stand out because of X event that happened to me. And if you have that, fantastic. You know, we all have a moment in our lives where we have realized something and has altered the course of our career path. But how much is, is telling a story a life-altering change and more so of just who makes us who we are and how do you coach somebody in ultimately telling their story? Yeah, so that's a great point. So this is a personal opinion. So from my, from how I see things and, and I, I, there's a lot of people that try to use this as a hook because what we're fed is that you need to connect, connect to the emotion. You need to connect to people's emotions so they can buy into your story. And, and that gives you credibility and validity and all those good things. At the end of the day, again, depending on what your, what your passion is. So if you're like a motivating motivational speaker or something like that maybe that works but if you're going into like a corporate for example what i want to see what always sells is metrics is solid metrics and results so i don't need a beautiful story for me i just need you to tell me maybe your career story i don't care if you have passion for it if you have passion that's icing on the cake that's awesome but you know just from a pure kind of um recruiter perspective i just want to know are you going to be either you know solving a problem creating a solution of some sort for the company, right? Again, I'm speaking very generally, but depending on the industry and the role and all those good things. So I think you have to ask yourself, like, who is my audience? And craft the story around your audience. So if the audience is looking for that motivational, that heartfelt story, then maybe that's the right way to go. If, you're, if they're looking for somebody who wants to do sales, for example, you know, it's great that maybe you started a lemonade stand when you were a kid, but I want to know what does it translate into metrics in the last 10 years of your careers? Have you met, you know, 100% of your um, sales goals? Have you, you know, acquired this many uh, millions of dollars of revenue? Whatever it may be, maybe you saved the company money. So I think including metrics into the story makes it practical and um, objective. And, and if you're passionate about it, great. But um, so I think just starting with who's your audience and, and not to, and, and what I don't like that people do is just because it's trendy doesn't mean you should be doing it because then you become mm. uh, like not authentic. Just because everybody's doing X, Y, and Z doesn't mean that that's the right thing for you, which goes back to like, can you even tell your story? Do you know what your story is? And not copying from other people and trying to like, like to your point, like create this heartfelt story it, because we all have a, I'm sure you have a story that you can, a heartfelt yeah. story you can sell. I do too. But is that adding value to you or are you just milking this trend? So right. like it, it depends. It depends. I think again, going back to like specific results, achievements, uh, impact that you made, that's where it's at. And for example, like even like I always see people like, oh, I'm a great problem solver. Wonderful. I also consider myself a great problem. But what does that mean in your case? So you can say like, I'm a great problem solver because I know how to bring the right people to the table. I'm a great problem solver because I can empathize with my customer in a way that makes um, me effective as a salesperson, et cetera, whatever it may be. So it's having very specific definitions and facts to back up what makes you a problem solver, for example. So, Yeah, no, I love that. It, it, you have to be unique to yourself. And, and knowing your audience, I mean, there is an element of human emotions involved when telling any story, when we talk about the six human needs and everything like that. But 
what does it bring to the table? Why why are we even having the conversation of even talking about it? You know what your your story is there to sell either a product, a service, or yourself. And if you're just throwing in some heartfelt like, oh, I broke my arm when I was six, and now I you know am a car salesman. You're like, how do they? How do they correlate? <laughs> Did you just want to bring up the that you have overcome you know something that happened so long ago? There has to be a reason behind the story, and people have to be able to follow it, understand it, and connect with you in some way that is relevant to whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, whether it's selling a product, service, or yourself. So I'm going to transition here slightly into the remote work trends. Mm-hmm. So this is the this is the Work Rever podcast. We have interesting stances, I guess is, is one way to put it, on future of work, what people are looking for, the questions that are going uh, through, I know I've I've had I had an HR person as one of my first guests when we talked about future of work remote. That was about six or seven months ago. Obviously, things have changed during that time period, and so you, as somebody who has a, a fingers to the pulse here, are people still looking for even in this environment where we have massive layoffs over the last four months, so specifically in the tech industry. We have uh, Amazon, Tesla, all of these big tech companies saying, hey, come back to the office, whether it be hybrid or full-time. Is this still something that employers are looking for and holding as a benefit to say, I want to be able to work from home? Uh, again, uh, I think depends on the roles. So, I'll, mm-hmm. so I'm in tech as well. I do acquisition in tech. And... Um, Generally speaking, people do want remote wor- uh, work. Um, companies that are more open to it are companies that are looking for talent that is otherwise hard to find. So I'll give you an example. So um, I work with this very specific tool, very specific platform in tech that the number of developers using this tool is very little. So if I were to, you know, have a setup in our company where I need them in office or I need them to relocate to come in and have this hybrid approach, I would not have any people on the team. Yeah. So so I don't I almost don't have a choice. So um, and that's just the, the, the market dictates in this case. There are some other companies and we, we just we can't afford not to have these developers like we're you know, we're always looking for these developers. Um, there are other companies, larger companies that can say, listen, you either relocate back to the area and you come in twice a week, like the large organizations mm-hmm. or, you know, sorry, you, you, you know, uh, will we'll part ways. So I think it just depends on the size of the company. I'm an SME, so it's a little bit different for us. Um, I think most SMEs, like it's, it's hard to find talent in general. It's hard to find great talent and it's hard to retain talent. So it becomes, you know, um, it's almost, we don't have a choice in many cases. What I see though, uh, is yes, people want the remote work primarily. There are some people that want to be in the office and want to have that connection. But I also want to speak to an important factor of how is the organization structure provides support for that remote environment and what i mean by that is that there's three responsible parties 
And, I, and in the media, you always see, well, the organization and the manager, but nobody talks about the third one, which is the individual. So the first responsible party is the individual, then their manager, and then the organization. So I'll kind of work backwards. So from the organization piece, you know, making sure you have the right setup for your teams to be able to collaborate, right? So whether it's having the right tools, resources, support, et cetera, to make it happen, to have the resources for people. Um, the manager is the next one, right? If you are in a remote environment, how are you making it effective as a manager? And I know people pick on managers all the time, but the reality is they're the ones that are leading their teams. So as an organization, how are you supporting your manager to be effective? Are you offering mentoring, coaching resources for them to be successful? Statistically, uh, roughly probably more than 60% or 70% of um, managers spend 10 years in a management role, people management role, before they get any kind of training or leadership development course on just like leadership one-on-one basics. Right. So they just kind of, you know, especially in the tech world, like they might have been a great tech technically and they just kind of transitioned, but they never and they're great at what they do. But they're never they never got that that other piece of management, which is dealing with people, dealing with different personalities and on top of that to do it effectively in a remote environment. So that's another piece. And the third piece is the individual as an individual. How are you making sure? that you are staying connected, that you are making sure you understand the expectations, that you are proactive in your work, that you're not just doing the bare minimum and clocking out, et cetera. And on the individual part, one thing I do want to mention is it depends on which level you're at. So, and it depends on the career path. So certain career paths require you to be more in person, obviously. Um, in a tech world, it's different, but even in the tech world, as a junior developer, you need to have that support, mentorship and coaching in order for you to make sure that you're on board properly, make sure you fit into the culture, et cetera. As a mid-level developer, that is when it's really key as a mid-level professional in general. Most, more, I always joke like most careers die at mid-level. That's because yeah. in order for you to move from here to here, it's a different ball game. And most of that game is about relationships. It's about mm -hmm. the interpersonal relationship with your senior managers, with clients, stakeholders, et cetera. That is very difficult to do in a remote environment. So people who are devoted to working only from home at some point, they're going to miss out on certain opportunities unless you're like a genius developer and, and nobody can say anything to you. But for regular folks out there, right, um, it, it, be, it becomes an obstacle. It becomes a blocker. So uh, I'll pause here. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I've definitely uh, I've definitely seen trends of what you're just talking about there in terms of tier developers. So first, I'll I'll. I'll talk to a little bit about what you were talking about in terms of the managers. So a good developer does not make a good manager. And a good employee doesn't make a good manager. To be a manager, you have to have a unique skill set. Sometimes not the best employees become the best managers simply because their ability to lead, understand people, connect with those people. Michael Jordan was a great, if not the greatest basketball player of all time he would make a really shitty coach. And he hasn't made the best GM. Whereas you have Steve Kerr, who was a basketball player on the same team with Jordan, has now won multiple rings. So sometimes it's the mid-level people who make the best coaches because they know how to get that other element out of individuals who are looking to push themselves. They didn't rely on their talent and talent alone being one of the best, told they're one of the best their entire lives at whatever their craft may be to then move into a management position where now you have to connect with people. Because people are one of the hardest things to manage. 
technology is ever changing. It's not going to talk back to you. It's not going to take leave. It's not going to do any of those things. It doesn't have bad moods. <laughs> it doesn't have bad moods, right? It's not going to complain about the weather, right? That, so dealing with people is one, definitely one of the harder things. And so when you move into that manage level, management level position, to your point, a lot of these people aren't getting training. What did you say, 10 years until? Average, they'll spend 10 years and in particular, a, lot, a big portion of managers will spend 10 years before they get any kind of training. This was like a year or two ago, the statistics, mm -hmm. so maybe it changed, but I doubt it. I, I Yeah, I doubt it. it. It is not, it's seen as like taboo to give any sort of leadership training that, oh, well, to be a leader, you just kinda, you know, you'll figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. Follow the SOP, you'll be fine, <laughs> right? That That's not necessarily true. Hiring, a manager is one of the hardest things to do, I think, as an organization. Because just because somebody's a really good developer, especially developers, right? So you're in the IT field, I'm in the IT field. Most developers want to turn off the lights, put headphones on, and go sit in a closet and dev by themselves. They, we are not the most social of people. Mm -hmm. You get on an interview with people, and, and first off, a lot of tech people don't want to turn their camera on. They'll just sit there, you know, if you are doing a remote uh, interview they're they're introverts mm -hmm. and so the best developers a lot of them are introverts so how do you pull the introvert out of them and then put them in charge you're going to get an in, you're going to get an introvert now that person might be really good and they might just want to do for their employees like i'll figure i'll do it for you mm -hmm. you know you're not going to you might not get the best possible manager so what what type of leadership training you know should they be taking is there a leadership training out there that is that you suggest or you coach through or, you know, I mean, I know that I've seen there's like there's no shortage of leadership training out there. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship groups, trainings, you can go to conferences. What types of leadership training should these people be taking or looking out for? Well, first of all, not everybody needs to be a manager. So even though they're great, so yeah. they can they can stick within the technical career path. They can be like architects. So I think identifying who actually needs to become a manager, who has interest in it as well. Right. Um, so that, that's one piece. Every time I find a technical person who is a great developer and a great like people person, I'm like, oh my God, you're like a unicorn because they are very much analytical and introverted and et cetera. Um, so you're right, there's so many leadership trainings. Most of them are not effective. And in fact, um, the effectiveness of learning and development kind of these kind of one-off trainings is very, very low percentage-wise. I think after a week, like when you go to a session, a leadership development session of like a day or whatever, mm -hmm. a week later, you only remember like 7% of what you learned. So it's not really effective. And people keep doing it. You know, it's like a multi-billion dollar industry. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. We're spending so much money on it. And I'm in the field. So I'm telling you, like, it's crazy that people spend so much money. It's just these group leadership is good for certain topics, but not necessarily for leadership development. Leadership development is something that happens every day. It's not something that you go to a speech, you know, and then you're like, oh, now I know how to do it. No, you don't. And even the good, the best of leaders don't know how to do it. I teach the stuff. I still don't know how to do half the stuff because it requires every new situation, every right. new conflict with an employee, with a team member, with whoever, requires you to be like, oh, man, I haven't been in this territory. What do I do now? It's a continuous thing, first of all. Training for it, I wouldn't even say training. It's more of like, it's a, it needs to be a mentorship. And part of it is it's continuous learning, right? Part of it is a big part of it is like self-awareness as a manager, self-awareness, like where do I lack these skills, right? Like, is it the empathy side? Is it the people psychology side? So really kind of identifying the gaps to begin with and then working on them. But it's not 
it's not a one-time thing. It's like every day looking at, let's say you started with like three things. You said, okay, I really want to, I really want to uh, be a little bit more empathetic to my team. Maybe another thing is I want to make sure that I know how to connect with my team members. I want to get to know them a little bit more, especially again in a remote environment. This is difficult. So maybe the habit or the little action that you do every week is when you have your weekly call with your team, instead of jumping right into work, you say, you know, five minutes. Hey, guys, how's it going? You know, like connect with them on a personal letter level. That's leadership. That's building a relationship with your team aside from work discussions. So creating these little five minute moments every week in your before your team meeting and kind of going around and sharing whatever whatever you did on the weekend something silly but that's what builds relationships and important part to remember that if you're a manager who's never done that your team is like what is elena on today like why is she asking us this it's gonna sound silly to them but that's why you have to add the consistency because that's yeah. how relationships are built. That is how you change the culture of your team is through consistent engagements with them and in whatever leadership skill you want to work on. Maybe it's delegation to your point. A lot of times you're like, I'll just do it myself because I don't have the patience or the time to, to teach this developer how to do things. So looking at creating systems and processes where you devote time and actually help that person develop and, and have the patience and the patient piece goes to the self-awareness, asking yourself, did I give this person what they were looking for when they came to me? Or did I just solve the problem for them? Which is not what you should be doing as a manager. Now, recognizing when you should be doing it and when you shouldn't be doing it is a whole other skill. Mm -hmm. And so, so because sometimes you're like, it's just firefighting. You just need to get, get this done. And sometimes there is room for mentorship. And this is where you have to work with each individual and understand, what, you know, how to talk to that individual to motivate them. And the only way to do it is by knowing that person. You don't need to be best friends with them, but you need to have a, a relationship with them. You need to understand their values, uh, what matters to them outside of work, inside of work, because that's how you get the whole picture. So I'll, I'll finish on the point that it's, it's an everyday thing. And the best thing you can do is learn from great managers, hopefully above you or mentors, maybe even an external person, work with a coach, like an external coach, because self-awareness is, is really a big part of leadership in general. And having somebody as a soundboard, or as a mirror, as an external coach is brilliant. Um, like to, you know, even in sports, they have coaches, right? For a right. reason, for us to get right. better and stuff. Um, so. It's not, it's not a one-time thing. So what I recommend to people is identify your gaps, number one. Look at what it would look like in micro actions and, and literally schedule this into your weeks, into your next discussion with your team and evaluate yourself. Say, did I do better this time? And create metrics and systems for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We have this idea that in sports, if a team took the field and didn't have a coach, then it'd be chaos. Sure, would they be able, would a team be able to run a play? Yeah, absolutely they'd be able to run a play. Would they be very good at it? Probably not. But when we get into other areas of life outside of sports, all of a sudden coaches become taboo. It's like, why would you have a coach? Well, you need a coach. Whether whether that is a mentor within an organization overseeing managers, whether that is a uh, proactive approach to leadership, which you're talking about, which I totally agree. There is no seminar or conference that you're going to go to uh, 48 hours with people jumping around on stage and shooting off fireworks. That's going to make you a good leader. It's, it, it doesn't exist. Those things might, you know, give you some an emotional boost, but then you're going to have to take home whatever it is that you learned and apply it on a daily basis. That, that's how things work. There's no magic bullet to any of this stuff. But there is the mentorship program, which we use a mentorship program in, in, internally, and 
that is one of the that's one of our our tools that that we utilize we do books you know and book clubs readings that we have that that, you, that we put together so it, it is it's a it's a constant grind but the idea of having a coach you guys should probably have a coach and what happens in sports when you the coach and the player don't get along is it the player just says you know what i'm going to go just be by myself and i'm not going to have a coach anymore no they go to another team and they find another coach and sometimes coaches gel better with other players. You know, it might be a player's coach. You might be a, there are different coaching styles that exist out there. It's the same thing that exists in business. But for some reason, we think of coaching here on the business side as something totally different. Now, coaching has become taboo. You have the social media coaches everywhere. They mm-hmm. maybe have never done anything. And they want to pretend to be coaches. And you have this 19-year-old who has rented a Lamborghini for a day. And all of a sudden, they think that they're a coach. So you have to understand what to look for when you are being mentored outside of your organization. But I think what we're getting at and the conversation we're having here is internal of an organization, making sure you have that hierarchy put in place to make sure that you have a mentorship program, that you understand what is expected of you. What were the three tiers that you gave? Organization? Individual and manager. Individual manager, which I love you brought up individual because so oftentimes as employees, we're looking and we're blaming whoever's on top of us. And we're not taking that self-awareness check to say, am I doing the necessary things to meet the expectations? Mm -hmm. Am I doing what's uh, expected of me? I'm just going to go find a new employer, Mm -hmm. you know? Which, but you're taking yourself with them. <laughs> you're taking yourself there. It's going to be the same You can't same change thing. that. <laughs> yeah. You know, to this point, I just want to add, that's such a, a really interesting point because what I often see individuals do is either expect the company to invest in them mm-hmm. and they're like, well, it's not offering. And even if people looking for external coaches, because not all companies offer that, but that doesn't mean that you stop your career development. There's a lot of free tools um, that are out there that are like platforms, alumni networks um, yep. that, that are free, right? There are organizations that do pro bono type of stuff. There's there's so many different platforms for uh, to access it if you want to, you can explore. So you don't, it doesn't, you don't need to even pay if you can't afford it, which is fair. So there's other ways to do this. And coaching doesn't mean you need to go into this one-year relationship. Sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes you just, you know, you meet somebody and you have a mentorship moment with them and they told right. you something, you're like, oh. So I think looking for those opportunities, number one is like perspective just matters. Managers often, they say, why well, do I have to be a manager? Which is why I said not everybody needs to be a manager. You need to understand if they actually want to be a manager. Because right. man and managers like, well, I have to manage people. No, you are you are creating future leaders so that you can then move up. Because if you are not creating succession that's coming up, people that are going to come up behind you, you're going to be doing all the work. You need people to help hopefully take over your role. So then, you know, I, you know, the idea is to then for you to move up, right? So you're building up people so that you can then move up and, and grow your career within an organization as well. As a business leader, business owner, that is a must. You need to have people that are great leaders that can then, you know, eventually take over parts of your business so that you can focus on other things. So, you know, just as an individual, you know, I think, the media, the way it portrays, it's like, well, the organization is not doing this. The, the manager is not doing this. What about the individual? What about taking accountability for your own career development with the endless resources that you have out there right now? If you're waiting for your manager or, co- or company to do something and you're not progressing and you look back and you're like, why am I not where I want to be? Look at what you have done as an individual to get yourself further. Don't always wait for 
the company because you're not always going to have that courtesy from the manager or the company. So it's um, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, no, that's, I mean that those are those are valid points, valid concerns, especially in today's landscape. A lot of the what, what was it called? The great, the great uh, resignation mm-hmm. is that what it was called? We had all these people leaving their organizations, basically holding employees hostage. Which was, hey, do your thing, man. If if you can go get another job and you can get higher pay and you can get better benefits, go do your thing. We just went over that earlier, right? There's there's no linear approach anymore to success. There never really was. It was just mm-hmm. something that was touted. But to that point, have we come too far the other way to say, hey, the, the company doesn't have to bend to every beck and call that you have. So at some point, you're going to have to look internally and to say, am I being the best em- employee that I can be? Am I being proactive in my learning approach? Am I being accountable? Am I living by the core values of the organization? Am I doing everything in order to, to move up? Would I make a good manager? Just because, it, hey, if, if you want to be a manager, would you make a good manager? Would you? It, it's the same thing as to say not everybody should be a manager because they might not want to be. Okay, well, not everybody who wants to be might make a good one. Mm-hmm. It, it goes twofold. So you have to do a self-audit. you got to audit, audit yourself. As, as well as audit, auditing the business. So mm. now, I, I, I love that point. I love that point. Are you seeing people wait, try and jump from organization to organization because they're not finding managerial positions? Is that is that one of the, like, what are the top reasons why people are moving around right now? Yeah, so a big one is um, career development. So which is which mm-hmm. is a positive thing because I hope that it will encourage companies to invest in mentorship and coaching for their own good. Um, in their employees, a lot of companies still miss that, um, or they don't have effective mentorship programs. So that's definitely good. So people are looking for professional development, so opportunities to grow and upskill. And also, and sometimes it means going to management roles, or sometimes it just means to get better at whatever role you're at. So I think, again, creating a system and, and creating support and resources as an organization for people to have access to it, that's where it's at. But then another thing, because this is what I run into sometimes, is people are like, well, I don't have time, and I need to take two, three days off to, to do to do this thing and the reality is that people that end up on top in organizations they're not just working nine to five and this is mm-hmm. not my aim to encourage people to go beyond above and beyond in their roles which i think everybody should frankly speaking because it's, yeah. it's for yourself so it's it's up to you how you know whoever's listening that feels about this but the reality is the people that are going go growing into management roles they don't just clock in at nine and clock out of five or whatever those minimum hours you have to do they're spending their evenings and and weekends and whatever free time they have developing themselves in other ways again going back to taking accountability your company might give you two days to go study a course but it's that if that's sometimes that's all they can do especially if you're in a world of government contracting where every mm-hmm. hour is billable etc so if you're just again doing just that the minimum and you know you're not you're not working for your company first you're working for yourself and your mm-hmm. name which goes back to that brand the personal brand and the thing if we just re- restructure and be like oh wait a minute i'm doing this for me no matter how bad that your situation is even if you're not happy in your job but you have to stay because you have bills to pay and you haven't figured out your next move yet 
fine. But then re, 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 restructure your mind to say, I'm here and I know this sucks, but this is giving me an opportunity to pay my bills while I try to find the next step. But while you're in that position, do the best that you can to be the best that you can be for yourself. And also it's a small world and I cannot stress this enough. Your reputation will carry with you everywhere. Mm. And, and it's, it's, you know, no matter how you feel that day, no matter how you feel about that job, that was the choice that you made. You don't like that choice, make a change. And I understand that some people might take a month, some people might take a year, for some people it might take five years, right? But do take the actions and do not wait for the, for the company to do that. And if you're not making time for your own development, then why should your company at the end of the day? Like it's your career. And um, so it's just, it's a topic that I'm very sensitive about because I feel like so many people are stuck because they're just not thinking about it from, wait a minute, I'm working for myself first, you know? So how can I be the best? How can I get the most out of this opportunity, out of this job to go to that next level? So, and I think that account is like radical accountability with self is what makes people high performers. It was what differentiates low performance and high performers. Yeah, that idea of extreme ownership where it's to say, Everything is controllable by me. That's 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 the origin. That's the initial approach. I can control everything here. Now, whether or not you can control whether you get a promotion or not is irrelevant to the point where you can control your actions. You can control what is it you're doing, how you're clocking in, clocking out. To your point, most people who move up in organizations are putting in way more than forty hours a week. Now, you could. Argue till you're blue in the face, uh, blue in the face, whether that's healthy or or that's the employee or that's the employer. Or it it doesn't matter. The people who are willing to go above and beyond are the ones who are going to move up. Point blank, period. And I I'll put those words out there for you. You you don't have to say them because um, I will. And I'm saying right now, I would never hire or uh, promote somebody as a manager who didn't go above and beyond, who didn't join meetings that they weren't supposed to who didn't do things for clients that weren't assigned to them. We, ha we have a accountability. The, we, the reason why I don't believe in job descriptions, which I, I you had mentioned that earlier in, in the show, saying job descriptions don't mean anything. The reason why I don't believe in job descriptions, or titles for that matter, is because mm -hmm. it creates boundaries and walls where people are like, well, that's not my job. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care if it's your job or not. It needs to become accomplished. Ultimately, we are not in the tech business. We're not in the product business. We're on the service business. We are in the customer service business. We are here to solve a problem for a customer. And if you aren't on board to support the customer in their needs, then it doesn't matter if they're assigned to you, if they're your client, if it's after hours. Like, I don't care. We're here to solve a problem. And if you're not on board with that, then good luck moving up here. We need You need to have a serious self-audit moment uh, to see if we even fit this culture. Look, we might not be the best organization for you, and that's okay. You might fit in great somewhere else, and and more power to you. But at my organization, and organizations that I've seen successful, you remove the boundaries. I believe in tech industry, we've even we've even dubbed that something. We even called that DevOps to okay. say, hey, it doesn't matter if you're on the development team or the operations team or the security team. We're all doing the same damn thing here, so y'all better figure mm -hmm. it out. So I, I love that you brought that up because that, to me, is extremely important, especially in the tech industry. And maybe in your industry, y'all need those walls and more power to you. But in the tech industry, what I've seen that works best is a DevOps approach, whereas you're removing those barriers, you're removing the idea of, oh, that's not my job, and y'all are moving 
together towards something, which I love that we're talking about leadership because who better to talk about leadership with than somebody who wrote a book about leadership? <laughs> so the, the Rough Guide to Awesome Leadership is your book. Tell me a little bit about your book uh, and, and how can people get your book? Sure. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. So it's called the rough guide because it's just, it's a very rough approach and it's, it's like a no BS approach. Uh, we made sure So my, my, um, co-founder and I when wrote the book, we made sure to keep it very practical and simple. So kind of what I was telling you earlier that manage people management, um, that leadership is built every day. So what we did there is we've taken a bunch of different challenges that people have, like leaders have new leaders, particularly. So this is meant for like a young manager, um, or maybe somebody who is, a, you know, maybe a senior, but needs a little refresher. So somebody who's like, I have no idea where to even start. What does it look like in action? How do I connect with my team? How do I, um, you know, how do I do that self audit? So it actually gives you practical steps um, in, in the chapter. So it just, it doesn't go into detail. Like, I think we all know that it's important to connect with your team and all of that. Um, uh, but it's like, how do you actually do it in action? So it actually goes into actions and it gives you very practical steps. Um, so it's a fun book to kind of have on your desk. It has really great quotes um, that we picked out from some of our kind of uh, best leaders, you know, and, and philosophers in the in, in our humanity. So, um, so it's just a fun book to have with really practical tips of how to be a better people leader. And it's available on Amazon. Love it. Love it. Guys, go check that out. And then I have the ticker down below if you guys are watching on YouTube. If you're listening on the audio platforms, then one, go go watch our YouTube videos. We, we launched on YouTube uh, not too long ago. Love that you guys are subscribed over there. Love the audio. But check us out uh, on the YouTube. And so we do have the ticker. But your website is Elena Agar, right? Yes, dot com. Dot com. Mm -hmm. So Elena Ag Agara Gamova. <laughs> Just say Agaragamova. Agar Agar Am I getting it? You got it. You're 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 too kind. I'm probably butchering <laughs> it, but I appreciate the support in in my fumbles. But it's been a great it's been a great conversation, Elena. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Is there anything else you want to mention? Anything else you want to drop before uh, before we put a bow on this thing? Uh, no, but I do want to. I want to tell you about the next time we chat. The reason why people are not so engaged in the piece of people don't take accountability because it starts with education system. So it's not all on the individual. So we can you're talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> you're speaking it now. So the next time you're when you sit in this chair right will, here, next yes. time we will have an in-depth conversation about the education system because I myself have some very strong opinions about the education system and how. You know, well, we'll get into that next time because yes. we'll, I have some I have some gripes with the education system for sure. For sure. Well, Elena, thank you so much, guys. Go check her out. ElenaAgar.com. Uh, connect with her on LinkedIn. All of her socials are there uh, on her website uh, as well. And grab that book. Guys, grab the Grab the book while you're there. Elena, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And next time we'll get you sitting over here because since now that we know that we are local, yes, it'll be a, a small drive. So I appreciate Absolutely. you. Thank you. Guys, thanks for hanging out. Uh, check us out on all of our audio platforms, Spotify, iTunes. We're probably on everywhere. I don't really know, to be honest. I up somebody uploads this audio somewhere, and it goes to a whole bunch of platforms. And wherever you're subscribed, we appreciate you. So we, do, we are on YouTube as well. Make sure you hit the subscribe like button. If you guys want to have any questions, comments, concerns, anything, hit those in the comments on our YouTube. We'll make sure we get to them as well. We are doing spaces as well. We're going live on spaces ever so often. Those are mostly our Sydney episodes when we're going over our 
uh, news articles. So check out those. If you guys want to listen on Spaces, go right ahead. I don't know what's going on over Spaces. Alon's over there just like trying different things. So give it a try. Maybe it'll stick. Maybe it won't. I don't know. We're trying everything over here. But we do have four different formats. This has been our guest interview format. We also have the Roy's Rants, as Sydney calls them. That's just basically me putting my tinfoil hat on, talking about all the things of the world. We got our hotspot. Those are our news articles where we're going through with Sydney. And then we have our homegrown. So our homegrown episodes, which Elena just talked about, the education reform system, our homegrown episodes are where me and my wife, we sit down and we talk about homeschooling and how we've been able to shift our mentality using remote work and the Work Forever platform. We've been able to change our lifestyle, homeschool our children, and pull them out of the broken public school systems and into a education reform, which, hey, hashtag defund education. That's what we got over here, guys. So... I appreciate you guys for hanging out. And until next time, see you. Well, guys, thanks so much for watching and or listening. We have had a great time. Hope you did, too. You can find all of the Work Forever podcast episodes here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or all of your major streaming platforms with new episodes dropping every Monday. Make sure to follow us at Capital Presence on all social platforms to stay up to date with the things all work wherever related. See you next week.